Uh, when we think of Christmas, we do often think of, of Mary and, and Joseph and their journey down from, from Nazareth, the city of David, uh, that city in which Jesus was born. Uh, we picture the pregnant and, and delicate virgin riding her donkey with uh, her husband confidently leading the way, staff in hand, on that demanding and dangerous trip back to their hometown, and uh, how finding no room available in the inn that Mary gave birth to Jesus in a stable. And thankfully for me, uh, Pastor John and the soloist have done such a great job of retelling that story for us tonight. Uh, I am left free to consider it with you from just a little different angle. Maybe one a little different than you've looked at it before. Uh, so let me ask you, if I may, in just these few brief moments that we have left to, to take that beautiful and cherished story of our Lord's nativity, a story that that we all know so very, very well, and look at it with me with fresh eyes, and perhaps even uh, dare to use your sacred imagination and think what it would be like to have actually been there that night, to, to have been in the Holy Land 2,020-odd uh, years ago. That would have been cold, for sure. Not freezing, though. The closest you would have gotten any real accumulation of snow would have been seeing it off in the distance on the Golan Heights, uh, but Jerusalem had been known to, to get a flurry or two. Uh, if you were traveling, you were walking. And, and because of that, most of the seminal events that took place in the life of our Lord uh, happened in a pretty small, compact area. Uh, like, for instance, if you, if you wanted to walk from, let's say, uh, Jerusalem to Bethlehem, it's only six miles. For the average healthy person, you could start out in the morning, be there by maybe late afternoon, uh, it would be like walking from here to, to Pasco High School in Dade City. So Jerusalem and, and Bethlehem, the next-door neighbors. The, the first, a, a large city. The second, a little hamlet that wouldn't normally be a major destination. So you see, uh, Bethlehem uh, in that day was a place that you stayed on your way to the big city. So, right? so you spent the night in Bethlehem, and you got up the next day and walked that six miles to Jerusalem. Just six miles. That's not very far, right? And I tell you that tonight, uh, not as a geography lesson, uh, not as a nudge for you to make walking up and down Fort King your New Year's resolution. Uh, it's not safe, guys. Uh, but rather, I tell you that as a backdrop against which I want us to consider the question, uh, and, and Pastor John alluded to this, why didn't any of the Jewish leaders go down to Bethlehem to see Jesus? Have you wondered that? I mean, why, why didn't the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, that those magi consulted as to the birthplace of the Messiah, why didn't they ever go down to, to Bethlehem to find him? They were so close. It was only six miles away. If they knew that the Messiah was, was going to be born there, why didn't they go and check it out for themselves? I mean, th think about what, what Pastor John told us about the, the magi, about those uh, men who knew so very little of God's grand narrative of salvation, and yet they traveled so long and they came so far, and they gave so much. When the teachers of the law knew so much, and were so near, and yet did so little, did nothing. When it was such a short journey, it was only six miles away. Weren't they even a little curious? I mean, think of everything they knew about the coming of the Messiah, and Pastor John alluded to this too. They knew he would be born the seed of the woman. That's in Genesis 3.15. They knew it would be a descendant of Abraham. That's in Genesis 12, 1 and 3. 
that he would be the son of David. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. They knew that he would be born of a virgin. That's in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. For goodness sakes, they knew he would be born in Bethlehem. It's in Micah 5 too. And if you were listening really closely, and I should have tested you on this, it's even in the scripture reading from Psalm 132 that I opened the service with that I read to you in the beginning of the evening in verse 6 to be exact, where along with all of those promises about an eternal king to sit on Israel's throne, we read the words, Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. In Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that is. There's these scholars, these, these scribes, these chief priests and teachers of the law. See, these guys were the best and brightest minds of the day. And they didn't realize that. These professional students of the Torah of God, they, they studied that Old Testament. They did it day and night. They knew the Word of God. They loved it, and they learned it, and they debated it, and they memorized it. Some of them had memorized the whole first five books of the Old Testament by heart. Others had memorized all 150 of the Psalms. Actually, they knew God's Word so well that when King Herod asked where Christ was to be born, immediately the religious leaders knew the answer. Bethlehem of Judea. They knew it by heart. They, they didn't have to look it up. They didn't say, uh, we'll, we'll get back to you on that. They just knew. So if they knew the truth, why didn't they go to Bethlehem? Why? I want to suggest to you just quickly uh, three answers to that question. And the first is I think their human knowledge made them smug and intellectually lazy. Did you know it's possible to know too much? You know you can study so long and compare so many options and read so many books and debate so many issues that you never get around to making a commitment to any one of them, right? You, you end up being what 2 Timothy 3.7 calls a person ever learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. And don't get me wrong, knowledge is good. But at some point, you've got to decide what you personally believe. It's not enough to say, I've studied religions. Hey, I, I know what the Hindus believe. I know what the Muslims believe. I've listened to all the experts. I've read all the, the latest books. I can intelligently discourse on the merits of every major denomination. And okay, that's, that's well and good. It has its place. But of what use is your great knowledge if it never points you to Jesus? See, as long as Jesus is just a theory, he'll be of no personal use to you because he'll still be six miles away. And maybe that's not your, your problem tonight. Maybe for you, you're here, you've, you've approached this Christmas holiday as a professed believer. But like those faith leaders of Jerusalem on that first Christmas light, your brand of religion has made you, like them, spiritually indifferent. And that's answer number two. So for the Jewish leaders, answering Herod's question was like playing a game of Bible trivia where you know all the answers in advance. But may I tell you that religion, even good religion, even Christian-sounding religion can deaden the heart and the mind because it's too easy. It's too easy to fall into the trap of saying, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Pentecostal, or I'm non-denominational, as if going to heaven was determined by a church affiliation. Just because we Reformed folks are going to be closer to the throne in glory than the rest of y'all is no reason to focus on that. But my point is, <laughs> it's too easy to play by the rules of whatever particular church that you attend and still keep Christ at arm's length. It's too easy to follow a religion 
even a Christian-based religion and not have a relationship with Jesus. Because as long as Jesus is just a set of rules to follow and a set of rituals to perform, he will be of no benefit to us because he'll still be six miles away. And thirdly and, and quickly, I think the religious leaders of the day didn't travel those six short miles to see the infant Jesus was because their culture had made them jaded and indifferent. Think about it for a moment. So, so one day these, these strangers show up in town claiming to have seen a star in the east that, that led them in search of a baby born king of the Jews. What a bizarre story. And, and who are these guys anyway? How, how do we know they're real? Who sent them? Where'd they come from? What, where is that star now? And how come we can't see it? Plus, hey, they look different, right? They, they talk different from us. They dress different. Everything about them screams, we're not from around here. Uh, and, and anyway, the Jewish leaders maybe thought, hey, you know, I like my life the way it is. I don't even know if I want the Messiah to have been born yet. I don't really care if things change. As a scribe, I've, I've got a position in the church and I have some influence on those in political power. After all, who did Herod come to when he needed some answers? Us. I don't want to give that all up. What if this Messiah of theirs changes everything? What if he changes everything? Maybe it's a good thing that Bethlehem is six miles away. And brothers and sisters, may I say to you, way too many people fall somewhere within those three answers tonight. Some folks, folks think they're too smart to bother with Jesus and the ideals of faith and chalk it all up to a Freudian delusion designed to keep the less educated a little more compliant or a little less clinically depressed. Others cling to their childhood church experiences because, hey, that's what mama and daddy always did. And besides, it feels good to sing hymns and hear pep talk pastors preach and to, to get together with good people for conversation and, and coffee once a week or maybe even once a year on Christmas Eve. Or maybe they fall into that, uh, if it's true for you, that's okay, but I've, I've got my own truths. Besides, who knows what's true anyway? Maybe everything is. Maybe nothing is. But you know, in the end, it really doesn't matter where you fall in that spectrum because at the end of the day, if your heart is not right with Christ, no amount of education can save it. If your heart is not right, no amount of Bible head knowledge can make the difference. If the heart is not right with Christ, no presentation of the truth can melt it, and you will forever remain miles from Jesus and from the salvation that he came to bring. And whether it's six miles or 6,000 will make not one bit of difference because... Separation from Christ is not a matter of degrees, but a simple yes or no proposition. It's a matter of have you had an encounter with the king or not. Six miles and none of the scribes cared to go and check out the rumor that a long-awaited Messiah had been born. Six miles from Jesus. Six miles from salvation. Six miles from forgiveness. Six miles from eternal life, but they were too busy listening to the cultural elite of the day, too busy studying the Torah to puff up their head knowledge of the Bible, but not their heart knowledge. Or maybe just too busy with their daily lives and their, their own wants and their own dreams and their own fleshly hopes and fears to figure out 
that the father's promise of a savior was happening a metaphorical stone's throw from their front door. Church, that's not just a first century Jewish problem. It's happening again this very night. It's happening in the Holy Land, but not just there. It's happening everywhere from Hong Kong to Houston. It's happening in Salzburg, Austria, in St. Louis, Missouri. It's happening in large towns and little villages coast to coast, shore to shore from, from down under in Australia to downtown Zephyr Hills and around the globe again. And as immense as that all sounds, the real problem is happening a whole lot closer to home because the question of whether or not to consider the implications of the incarnation of the Son of God in Bethlehem is happening right in your heart and mine tonight. Because the ultimate question is not how did any of those characters of the Christmas narrative respond, be they scribes or shepherds or angels or kings. It doesn't matter how anyone else responds to the birth of Jesus, but how do you? How do you respond to the incredible, improbable, maybe uncomfortable realization that the eternal God chose to become the infant of Bethlehem and that he did it for you? And, and maybe perhaps you've never thought of it like that before, but now that you have, will you really just rush through the next few fleeting moments that we have together and walk out of here like this has been any other night? Or will tonight be the night that you come to Jesus? Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus stands at the end of life's road for all of us, and we are traveling inexorably toward him one way or the other. Uh, we, we all have an appointment with Christ sooner or later, and so I'm going to leave you tonight with an invitation from him, one delivered in his name, an invitation to be a living part of the Christmas story. Uh, he's not far away, and you already know that. In fact, everybody that's ever been involved in the nativity had the same basic information. They all knew that a baby had been born in Bethlehem. And they all knew who that baby was. It's only what you do with that that makes the difference. You see, Herod knew and he tried to kill him. The scribes knew and they ignored him, so that's, that's an option, I guess. But I don't want to be a part of that company. I want to be with the wise men. See, they knew and they sought him out. I want to be with the shepherds tonight. They knew and they told everyone about him. I want to be with the angels. They knew and church, they worshiped him. And so my prayer for you this evening is that as we sing our closing hymn, that your heart will echo David's words that we open with this evening. My prayer is that you will be able to say, I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Church, he's not very far. Has he found room in you? Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, be the God of our Christmas celebration. We rejoice with shepherds over the good news of Jesus' birth. We join in praises of the angelic choir saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom God favors. Almighty God, you have favored us with the greatest gift ever given, your only begotten Son, light of light, God of God. May we never take this gift for granted. May your songs of praise never fade, and may we treasure in our hearts always and forever this gift. Bless all of us here gathered in worship this evening, as well as our loved ones at home. May peace and joy ring in our hearts and reverberate through our communities tonight in the name of Jesus Christ, our newborn King. Amen. 
and I'm going to invite the deacons and ushers to come down, and we're going to walk through the middle of the group here and, and light your candles, and maybe, maybe Ann, you could play just a little, uh, play it through once first on the piano before we sing, just so we have time to light everyone's candles, and if you would pass this light to the folks next to you, the idea of doing this is We've been commanded to make disciples and to spread the gospel, and we do that uh, one person at a time. And so as you light the, your neighbor's candle, as you, you go, as you go down through this evening, um, I invite you to take this message with you when you go back home. Be a light to someone else. Spread that good news of the gospel. <laughs>